0: We're going to come to um, God's word this morning, um, and let let's just take a moment and pause and ask for God's help as we come to to His word. Father, we ask very simply that you would help us to be attentive and awake to the things that you want to say to us this morning. Thank you that you're a God who loves to speak. And you love to speak words that will give us life and do us good and bring us freedom. And so, Father, help us to be listening this morning. We pray you would speak to us by your word and by your spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, for those of you who are visiting this morning, um, we are we are coming to the, the end of a series that we've been in uh, as a church where we've been looking through the whole of the biblical story from beginning to end and looking at how the gospel, the good news, is there all through scripture, the the good news of great joy for all people. And no matter where you drop in in the biblical story, you can hear the the song of that good news. Uh, And so you're joining us as we come to the very end. Um, We come to the book of Revelation uh, right at the end of the Bible. Um, We don't have time this morning to talk lots about the book of Revelation as a whole. Um, if you're interested in that, you can go back and le- We did a series uh, back in 2013, and it's all there on our website if you want to go and explore. Um, a lot of what I share is going to be taken from or borrowed, almost wholesale, from a wonderful book uh, called Discipleship on the Edge uh, by Daryl Johnson. And if you want a book about Revelation, uh, that's the one I would always recommend. Um, go, go and read that book. But maybe the only thing I'll say about Revelation as a whole is that this is a book that at its heart is a deeply pastoral book, and I think that's something that's often missed. It's it's written by John as an old man on the island of Patmos to encourage Christians living through really difficult times in his own generation and is also powerfully applicable to every generation since. Uh, And I want to encourage you, as we read, some of the things in Revelation can be strange and startling, but I want to encourage you to listen for that pastoral heart. This is encouragement for people going through tough times. Um, So let's listen together. We're going to read uh, from Revelation chapter 12 uh, and reading from the beginning. And you can follow on the screen or you can follow uh, in your own Bible. Uh, And by the way, this is, uh, as well as being the end of our series and Uh, a sermon on Revelation. This is also kind of a Christmas sermon uh, of a kind of strange kind. Uh, So you can listen out for that as well. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads, and its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That's where we're going to end our reading uh, for this morning. Um, how can we begin to understand this strange vision? Um, let, let's start to try to kind of get our head around it. Let's start with the three main characters a woman, a dragon. And a child. Those are the three main characters. Um, two two very quick side notes just before we get into it. Um, one I was just thinking about this week was um sometimes people say, you know, the book of Revelation is just weird. There's all these dragons and monsters and battles going on and violence, and um, surely we as modern sophisticated people can't read a book like that. And then people go and sit down and watch eight seasons of Game of Thrones or the box set of Lord of the Rings or whatever. Um, I I don't think as a culture we've outgrown stories about dragons and monsters and all the rest. There's something about these kind of stories that resonate. Um, Maybe the other little side note um, is simply this, that uh, you know I quite like to put up images when we're speaking. Uh, And I discovered this week uh, or rediscovered that the book of Revelation inspires people to really, really terrible art. Like, really terrible. Um, so I struggled to find images. This was one of the better ones. I thought this was quite simple uh, in its depiction, and I quite liked it. Just the woman, the child, and the dragon. Um, but you're all going to go and Google later on, I know, to, to see what I'm talking about. Um, how can we identify these, these characters? The, the dragon... I would suggest it's easy to identify because we're told in the reading uh, that the the dragon is that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. So we're told who the dragon represents. Um, You may remember if you've been on the journey on this series from the beginning, he was there in the garden at the beginning of the story in the form of a snake. He's there at the end of our journey in the form of a dragon. Um, And we notice immediately in this story He is a strong and powerful enemy. The vision is genuinely frightening. Seven heads, ten horns, sweeping stars out of the sky. He is genuinely powerful and frightening and strong. So that's the dragon. Um, I want to suggest the child is also easy to identify. Um, Apart from the fact that we know, because we're in church, that the answer is probably Jesus. Um, We know It's Jesus because of the quotation in verse 5 from Psalm 22. uh, The quotation saying that he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. I don't know if you know that Psalm 22 is the part of the Old Testament that is most often quoted in the New, more than any other, and always in relation to Jesus. It is the ultimate messianic psalm. It's all about the Messiah, the King who's to come. Um, And so the child we can identify as Jesus. And it says he will rule the nations or some translations say he will shepherd the nations. And so it's an image of one who is born to be king, born to be a shepherd king. And it's an image of both love and strength. And so the dragon is an image of just brute power, but the child is one who brings strength, but also the love of a shepherd. It's a very different kind of king. Uh, There's something about kingship going on in this story, the dragon with his crowns, the child born to be shepherd king. Maybe the the biggest puzzle we might have as we read this is the dragon is Satan, the the child is Jesus, but who is the woman? Um, Because she gives birth to Jesus, we may uh, initially assume that she must be Mary, the mother of Jesus, but it's a very strange picture. She's clothed in the sun and standing on the moon and crowned with stars. Um, I want to suggest if we take that too literally as an image of Jesus of Mary, we get into some trouble. We get into some strange ideas about Mary. Um, I don't really have time to go into why uh, people have come to this conclusion, but Daryl Johnson in his book uh, about Revelation says this about the woman. She is the people of God, both before and after the coming of Jesus, representing Israel, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the Church, all at once. Right. So this is this is very symbolic literature. Um, so I don't have time to make a case for why that's why that I think that's true. But I I think Daryl Johnson is right. The woman represents the people of God. Jesus is born out of Israel, out of the people of God, as well as obviously on a simple level. Uh, from his mother Mary. And so, I wonder, can you say that this is maybe the strangest Christmas sermon in the Bible? This is a nativity story with a dragon in it. Um, Eugene Peterson says, we need to set this version of the nativity alongside the more familiar ones from Matthew and Luke, because it prevents the story from becoming sentimental and too tame. Uh, And the story, Peterson says, this uh, this story in, in Revelation 12 tells us that this child does not just excite wonder, but he also excites evil, right? He disturbs the powers of darkness. The powerful, terrifying dragon is scared of the little child. Did you notice that as we read? He wants to kill him immediately. And of course, immediately we think of the story of Herod, Uh, doing his best to kill Jesus and going on a murderous rampage in the more familiar version of the the nativity. Uh, This is a child who disturbs the powers of darkness. But then it says in in the passage that we read, uh, the child was born and then was snatched up to God and his throne. Um, I would suggest that's the shortest version of the story of Jesus you'll ever find. He was born... He returned uh, to God's throne. Um, and I guess I want to suggest that's a shorthand way of telling the story that we all know that goes from the cradle to the cross to the crown. So, in other words, whenever Revelation 12 says the child was born and then was snatched up to God on his throne, that is a shorthand way of saying, He was born in Bethlehem and he was raised in Nazareth. And for three years, he went around Galilee, healing the sick and casting out demons and preaching about the kingdom of God. And he was rejected by his own people and he was killed on a Roman cross. But three days later, he rose from the dead and appeared to many. And then he ascended to the right hand of the father and was given the name above every name. Right? (laughs) Amen. But it's a shorthand way. We we know that story from other places. And in the, the strange poetry of Revelation, it's told in this compressed way. It's a story that goes from cradle to cross to crown. But what is the heart of this passage that we read? It's this that because this child was born and became king, because he came and returned to the father via the cross, the armies of darkness have been defeated. What, What is the phrase that's repeated five times in the passage that we read? The great dragon was hurled down. It says it five times. He was hurled down. 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 Was hurled down. The, the word for hurled down uh, literally means bounced, which I kind of like. Um, um, it's kind of, I kind of imagine a bouncer throwing a troublesome drunk out of a nightclub. He was hurled out of heaven. And there's something wonderful about the contrast between the mighty dragon on the one hand and the little child on the other, and yet it's the dragon who is decisively defeated. And I want to suggest this morning, that's the claim at the heart of the gospel, that Jesus in his coming down and returning to the Father via the cross has defeated all the powers of evil and darkness once and for all, the power of sin, the power of sickness, the power of sorrow, the power of death, the power of Satan himself have been defeated. As Jesus went to the cross in John chapter 12, he said, now the prince of this world will be driven out. There's another way of saying the same thing. The prince of this world will be driven out. Um, John, in one of his letters that he wrote earlier than Revelation wrote, the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason Jesus came, was to destroy the devil's work. That's why he came, to hurl down the dragon, to defeat the powers of evil and darkness. But maybe as you're, you're listening this morning, um, maybe you're thinking of a, a question, which I think is, is a good question to ask, uh, a really puzzling question. Maybe you're thinking, if this is true, if Satan has been decisively defeated and thrown down, then why is evil still causing havoc in our world? Why do you and I still see the shadow of the dragon passing over our lives in lots of ways? Why is there still so much darkness and sorrow and sickness and hatred and death? The, the story, as, as you read it in Revelation 12, It tells us, without explaining why, it doesn't answer all our questions, that the dragon is defeated but has been allowed for a little while to remain on the earth. And because he knows that he is defeated and his time is short, it says he is filled with fury and aiming to cause as much harm as possible in the limited time that is left. We're not told why uh, in the mystery of God's plan, this is so, but that—that that is what we're told in the in this passage. Um, how how does Satan? How does the dragon continue to cause harm in our world? Um, in the, the in the passage, it mentions a couple of the ways that he works. You would think because he's a dragon, he would work in really dramatic, um, violent ways, and sometimes he does. But actually, he often works in very devious, sneaky ways, and so we're told that he's the deceiver, he's the one who leads the whole world astray. And he will always mix truths with half-truths and outright lies until we don't know what is true or real anymore. He works by deception, uh, by blurring uh, our thinking and our minds and our understanding of what's true. And the passage also says that he's the accuser. He comes and whispers accusations in our ears, He tries to keep us living in shame and guilt and condemnation with our head down. Um, He comes and accuses uh, God's people. And of course, you and I know he also works in other ways. He works by temptation and whispering seduction in our ear to get us to do all kinds of things that cause us harm. And he also works, I think, especially through fear. And maybe as we think about our world at the minute, uh, we think about how he wants to keep us captive to fear whether it's fear of a virus or fear of government overreach or whatever it is. But he, he wants to keep us in captivity to fear, and especially the fear of death. Um, those, are, I think, are some of the ways that he causes harm in our world. But the passage is incur- encouraging us to think this, that whenever you look at the world and you see all, all of that going on, you see the activity of the enemy, all of this activity is just his final useless death throes. Like a chicken who's had its head cut off running around the, far, the farmyard. When you look at the world and you see darkness and chaos, or when, when you're really aware in your life of the enemy coming at you and discouraging and troubling you, it doesn't mean the enemy is winning. It actually means the opposite. It means he knows that he's defeated and his time is short. And so what that means is that you and I don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be intimidated by all the noise that he makes in our lives and in our world. Um, And so here's the pastoral encouragement at the heart of this passage. This declaration says, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. And by the way, that's not talking about at the end of the world. So we sometimes think all of Revelations about the end of the world. This is talking about now. Now that the child in the manger has come and gone to the cross and returned to the Father. Now have come these things into our lives. Even while we're waiting for the final chapter when Jesus will return and make all things new. And the enemy will be destroyed finally forever. The power and the authority of that kingdom is available here and now. I love that word Now you ever hear how often that resounds in the New Testament? Now is the day of salvation. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. Um, how do God's people, in the face of ongoing uh, activity by, by our enemy, how do God's people overcome? And this is where I want to finish. Uh, according to the passage, I, there's a great simplicity here to what it says. It says we overcome in two ways. God's people overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That that is where we take our stand. That is where our confidence rests. The cross of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the place where the dragon was defeated, where the powers and authorities were disarmed, as it says in Colossians. And so whenever the enemy comes with threats and accusations and lies, we remind ourselves and we remind him of what Jesus has done. We overcome by the blood of the lamb. Um, It says in the book of James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But that's not about bravado. The, The devil is not, let me tell you this, the devil is not scared of you, right? He's not scared of me. You know who he is scared of? He's scared of the child in the manger, the man on the cross, the lamb on the throne, right? So that's where we stand whenever we're Intimidated. Um, I don't know if you remember during one of the lockdowns last year, one of the strangest things that went viral in our world was a town hall meeting from uh, somewhere in England that went a little bit mad on Zoom, Uh, and the most iconic line from that viral video uh, was somebody who said, you have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. Um, Forgetting about Jackie Weaver, that is exactly what you and I are able to say to the enemy. You have no authority here in my life, in this church, in our town, in our lives. You have no authority. Um, So I had a a remarkable experience this week. Um, I visited in a a home in the Mount Sandal area, which from the outside looks like every other home around it. It's a little bungalow in a quiet cul-de-sac just up the road. I was visiting with a couple from this church called Gordon and Irene. Many of you know them, some of you don't. Gordon and Irene are walking through what many of us would regard as one of the worst things that can happen. Gordon is going through treatment for cancer, not just for cancer, but pancreatic cancer, which is one of the the scariest ones. But I experienced something remarkable in that home. Well, one of them is that Gordon was told he had about two months to live and that was 14 months ago. That's one of the remarkable things. But the other one is this. And I I tell you the truth. (laughs) There is no fear in that home. There is no fear. And that doesn't mean it's easy. Gordon and Irene will tell you there are days, there are weeks when it's really hard and there's tiredness and there's sickness and there's pain. But there is no fear in that home. But can I tell you something? Do you you know the thing that frustrates Gordon and Irene? Um, And they told me this this week. It frustrates them when people go away from their home and say, Gordon and Irene are amazing. And do you know why that frustrates them? Because they want you to know that the overcoming that they are experiencing is available to you, right? It's not a secret uh, how it happens. Irene told me this week, she said every morning she gets up She opens her back door and she opens her front door to let the air through her home, right? And then she prays and she claims the protection of the blood of Jesus over her home and over her family and over their minds and over their hearts. And she does the same thing every night. How are they overcoming in the worst circumstances? By the blood of the Lamb. Gordon told me whenever the enemy comes at him with discouragement and doubt and fear, because he comes at him just as he comes at everybody else. But Gordon told me essentially that he talks back to the devil and he tells him, you have no authority here. tells him, I am a child of God and Jesus has died and Jesus has risen again um, and I belong to him and you're a defeated enemy. And he tells him to be gone. And Gordon and Aaron want you to know, (laughs) they want me to know. Don't don't just say they're amazing, they are amazing, right? The overcoming that they are experiencing is available to you. God's people overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the last thing is this. uh, They also overcome by the word of our testimony. So our words play a part uh, in this overcoming. What what does that mean? I want to suggest really practically there are maybe a, a few related layers to the word of our testimony. One is simply tell the truth. Um, How do you take your stand against the deceiver? How do you make a difference in a world full of lies and half-truths? Be known as someone who always speaks truthfully. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, as Jesus taught us. Whether it's convenient or not, whether it's comfortable or not, let your testimony be truthful all the time. Um, But then there's another layer, which is tell your story. Um, I think that's often how we use the word testimony, isn't it? Tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life. Um, and by the way, tell it in your own way. Don't copy somebody else's way of telling their testimony. Tell it honestly. Don't dress it up uh, to manipulate people's emotions. Just tell the story of God's grace at work in your ordinary human life because that story is powerful. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Speak it out. Tell the story of what God has done in your life. So we tell the truth. All the time, we tell the story of what God has done. But then another layer is this: is that we tell the story of Jesus. As you share your life honestly with people, people will want to know more, and they will ask about the source of your hope and your joy. Be ready to talk about Jesus. Talk about the child in the manger. Talk about the man on the cross. Talk about the man on the uh, the Lamb on the throne. And again, tell it in your own words. Tell it in your own way. Don't copy somebody else. The power is not in your eloquence or the words that you find to use. The power is in the message. It's in the story of Jesus. The word of your testimony. Tell the truth. Tell your story. Tell the story of Jesus. um, And the enemy will go away with his tail between his legs. Um, Let me finish uh, by quoting Uh, Just the words of an old hymn. Uh, This was originally written in German uh, by Martin Luther um, and then translated into English. I just want to read you one verse of it. And then we're going to sing a song together uh, just of response uh, to what we've been been thinking about. I'm going to pray and then we'll we'll sing. Uh, Martin Luther said this, Although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Daryl Johnson, when he quotes that, just adds this one line and says, that word is... Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for every single one of us here this morning, uh, for each person tuning in online at home. Father, you know the things in our lives and the things in our world that can intimidate us, that can make us afraid that can make us tremble, that can keep us up in the night. Father, I want to pray this morning. Would you give us faith? Would you help us to turn our eyes to Jesus and to believe the message that we've read this morning? That because Jesus came, our enemy has been defeated. He has been hurled down. And he knows that he is defeated. Father, help us as your people not to be intimidated by his bluster. Help us to take our stand in Jesus and what Jesus has done. Father, I want to pray for anybody here this morning who has never put their confidence in this child in the manger, this man on the cross, this lamb on the throne. Father, I want to pray there might even be some of us here this morning who for the first time um, say yes to the one who has come come down for us and for our salvation. And that we would lean our, all of our trust and all of our confidence on him and then be able to walk out of here to live in our world without fear. Um, Father, come and give us faith this morning. Come and give us courage. Um, help us to overcome in the week ahead by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Saviour, Amen.